tonight. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper, for in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Praise God. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. I want to speak just for a few moments. will not be long tonight. I want to speak on this subject. Declaration to the sky. Declaration to the sky. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you would strengthen us in the house of God tonight. We give to you praise. We worship you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. you can be seated. I'll finish reading this passage of scripture. Verse 27 Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. This passage can be approached with fear, especially because of verse number 29, when there is a discussion about eating and drinking unworthily. And so because of that, there is much discussion about what it means to take the bread and cup in an unworthy manner. And there are different interpretations. So we'll go through some of them for an introduction here tonight. Some would say that it could be that those taking the communion elements 
needed to be fully aware that they represent the sacrifice of Christ by which we are redeemed from sin. If there is no understanding of what is being done, then there is no connection to, to the power and the impact of the Lord's Supper. And so an age of understanding is important. You need to understand what you're doing. And so therefore, in this interpretation, an age of understanding like baptism needs to take place. A person needs to understand what they're doing the same as in baptism. You need to know what baptism is for and what it means. And there have been situations where people have come and said, I think I need to be rebaptized because when I was baptized, I didn't really understand what was going on. It seemed like more of a tradition. I wasn't aware. And now that I'm more mature, I realize the impact of that and don't feel like that it has the same resonance or the resonance that it should have. And so I want to be rebaptized. This is one of the reasons why parents, when you work with your children, you should make sure that they understand the scripture, they understand what it's for, they can interpret, they can reiterate, they can state very clearly why they're being baptized. So in this interpretation about the Lord's Supper, uh, it is an interpretation that taking it unworthily would be an understanding that is immature or that is not developed. The second possibility would be that taking the supper with a willful or unconfessed sin would be an unworthy manner. These are all possibilities, all interpretations. None of them are right or wrong, but certainly if you're in the house of God tonight and there's willful, unconfessed sin, that could be an unworthy manner. Praise God. Before we came to the house of God, we approached the Lord in this place in prayer. And we should have stated, God, I'm coming before you, not that I think I'm worthy to stand before you because I know that I'm not. But it's really not about that. It's about how worthy he is and how great he is. Praise God. And so I'm resting in that power and that ability. Amen. All you have to do is say, God, I want your forgiveness in my life. I want your mercy to cover me. I want your long suffering to be upon my life. And I want the power of Calvary to touch me. Are you thankful for the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God? He walks with you even when you don't measure up. Hallelujah. I said he walks with you even when you don't measure up. Thank God you're in the house of God tonight. And thank God for his mercy. Praise God that extends to each and every one of us in this place. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and thank the Lord together. I thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. The earlier context of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 also speaks because we read it. He said I, there's divisions and schisms and, and problems. And so another way of interpreting this would suggest that taking communion in an unworthy manner means to do so while you have a problem with another Christian with whom you are not reconciled. That is a very good interpretation. If you've got ought with your brother or your sister, how in the world could you take of communion when God has forgiven you of so much? Brother and sister, if you've got an offense against somebody else, you need to make sure that you get it taken care of. Praise God and get it right. Hallelujah. Praise God. If Jesus is able to forgive you of all of your offenses, how in the world could you harbor an offense against somebody else? 
It wouldn't have the same power and the ability for you to stand before God and say, I want preferential treatment. I want you to show me mercy. I want you to forgive me and still have problems with your brother or with your sister. We are called into the ministry of Jesus Christ, which means that if he forgave us of everything that we have done and all our wrongs, certainly I should be able to forgive somebody else what they have done to me. That doesn't mean I have to be buddy-buddy with them. That doesn't mean I have to be a real close friend. But it does mean I give them the gift of of repentance and forgiveness and say, I'm not standing in your way. Praise God. I want God to do great things in your life moving forward. I want the mercy of God to touch you. Praise God. I want God to, to develop you and encourage you. I'm not standing in your way. Why? Because I recognize how much God has forgiven me. Praise God. And I'll just say here tonight, I'm one that is so very grateful and thankful because my sins have piled up on themselves on top and on top of each other. I don't deserve to be in this place. I don't deserve to even speak in this pulpit. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his long suffering. He's forgiven me. Wow, we were yet sinners. He died for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Amen. Another view is that some Corinthians, some of the Corinthians were using the communion supper as an opportunity for self-indulgence, which is why Paul mentioned how some got drunk. The communion service is not a place for self-indulgence, and they had completely gone astray. They had failed to recognize the significance of the Lord's Supper. They were eating and they were drinking, and it had turned into something that it was not intended. And so Paul is addressing this. Another view is that both the elements, the bread and the wine, must be taken, not just one, the bread or the wine individually, since Jesus commanded that both be taken. This, incidentally, would invalidate the practice of taking the wafer only. They were a combination, his body and his blood. And a final view that you can look at, there's a lot of views regarding this passage of scripture, is that the person taking communion must be worthy in order to take it. That the person must be worthy in order to take it. This view, ladies and gentlemen, is dangerous because no one is worthy to take the communion supper. Our worthiness comes from Jesus Christ and not ourselves. If you think you're worthy by your own doing, it's a matter of works and you will never be able to do something on your own. It only comes from the power and the ability of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's the only worthy one. Praise God. He's the only one worthy of praise and exaltation. He's the only one to be magnified. Hallelujah. You may think you're good, but you don't measure up. You're not good. The bar is too high. The one that has set the bar is God manifested in the flesh who said, I'm coming. I'm becoming humanity. I'm going to walk in their shoes. I'm not going to sin. It will not take me. I'm carrying it to Calvary's hill. Hill. 
I'm going to be the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world without blemish and without spot. He's the only one that's worthy. There is nobody else that's worthy. There is nobody else good enough. And I'm thankful for that because I recognize no matter how much I try to measure up, I'll never get there. Amen. Praise God. So some people come to this service with condemnation. This is one of the most liberating scriptures in the Bible. And yet many believers are condemned by it. And this seems odd to me. This is the same writer. This is Paul that said in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I understand we should approach this service with respect because we have great respect for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, 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 and so that's the way we approach it. But sometimes I think we miss something that is very, very integral to this. We approach it with a somberness, yes, but it also should be a celebration of what Jesus has done in our life. Praise God. It is a moment and an opportunity to say, I am not going to be condemned by the world, but I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done at Calvary's cross. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is not a moment of condemnation, contrary to what you may think or what you have heard. We're not worthy of communion. And Paul says, we, he said, we never damn ourselves by taking it in an unworthy manner. Praise God. It's not condemnation that we should heap upon ourselves. But we should recognize that Jesus Christ has done great things in our life. And with uplifted hands, we should celebrate and thank him for Calvary. Where would you be? without Calvary? Where would you be without Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? I'll tell you where I would be. I would still be steeped in dysfunction and sin. I would be deep in the miry clay. But thank God, Jesus pulled me out of the pit and he gave me an opportunity. When I was baptized in his name, hallelujah, every sin going all the way to the beginning in that Adamic nature was washed away all because of what Jesus has accomplished. Amen. So there's two elements that are important here. At the Last Supper, Jesus handed out bread and he said it was his body and he told the disciples to eat it in remembrance of him. He didn't say much else because no doubt they could recall the fuss that happened the last time he said he was the bread of life. He said it in John chapter 6 in his early stages of ministry. And they turned away from him because they didn't like the sound of eating his flesh. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. As a result of this, many people walked away and they turned from following Jesus. It was repelling to them. They did not grasp that Jesus was referring to his sacrifice, that he would give his body in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, that we might have life. 
And so they walked away. They turned away from Jesus. But I want you to know something. The broken body of Jesus is representative of his healing power. By his stripes we are healed. When he was at the post, when he was on the cross, when his body was broken, it was broken for you and for me. I was sick. I was sick. Lee, but I recognize what Jesus has accomplished in my life and because of the broken body of Jesus there is healing that comes to me you have an opportunity here tonight not to be sickly if you recognize what Jesus has richly done the Corinthians failed to recognize the significance of the last supper we're here in this place not uh, under those conditions for we recognize how great he is and the broken body of Jesus Christ the bread that is represented is bringing healing to us and strength to us and it removes the power of death to us it removes the curse of sin he died so that we could be set free from sin and all of its effects but you can't get there until you go through the broken body of Jesus Christ praise God there's enough that is able to go around to everybody his broken body was for every person in this place it was like the feeding of the 5,000 he broke the bread everybody was fed and there was enough to fill up extra baskets full there's enough sacrifice of the bread in this place for you and everybody in this city and everybody in this world because of his broken body at that last supper he broke the bread it represented his body praise God Healing comes through his broken body. Healing comes against the power of death and the grave. If there's no broken body of Jesus, there is no power over sin. There is no power over the grave. There is no power over death. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands and thank the Lord. It's his broken body that brings healing. By his stripes we are healed. Praise God, it's the bread and it's the cup. The reason why people were sickly is because they were still experiencing the punishing effects of sin. Rejection, sickness, condemnation. They weren't attributing to Christ the full worth of his sacrifice. They were still suffering. And those were the effects of damnation. Instead of being forgiven, accepted, blessed, and healed, they were living in condemnation because they failed to recognize the power of the broken body of Jesus Christ. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the cup and he announced a new covenant based on his blood. He said in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Praise God. Proclaiming the Lord's death should be an occasion of great joy and celebration. We should approach it with reverence, but we should approach it in a way that says to the enemy, I'm grateful for what God has done in my life, but it's also saying a message to the enemy of my soul. Hallelujah. I am, I am raising up a declaration to the sky 
through the power of Calvary, I am saying this cup is a cup and a table and a body and a blood that was given for me that no matter what hell would want to say against me and no matter what the enemy of my soul would say against me, there is a God that is greater. Praise God. I'm raising a declaration to the sky. I shouldn't be here, but I'm making a declaration because of the power of Jesus. I'm here because of his body. I'm here because of his blood. I'm here. I'm going to make a declaration to the accuser of the brethren. Last year, you may have had some difficulties. The year before, you may have had some failures. But you're in the house of God here tonight. And you're going to take part in the communion service. You need to raise that cup as a declaration and say, I'm still in the house of God. I'm still living for God. I'm still serving God. When I looked out over this audience, there were some of you, <laughs> you had difficulties and struggles and, and things and turmoils in your life. You shouldn't even be here. But because of the broken body and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are here. The enemy would like to come to you and tell you, well, you made it one year, but you won't make it next year. In communion, we talk about what is the past, the present, and the future. The enemy would love to tell you, you're not going to make it tomorrow, the next week, the next month, or the next year. But we're taking this communion service for the future. I'm raising a cup to the sky. And what I'm saying is, I'm still here serving the Lord. Yesterday was a battle and a struggle. But in this moment right here, I want God to know that he's worthy of my praise. And in the future, I'm still going to be living for God. Praise God. Raise a declaration to the sky. It's because of Calvary that I'm still in the house of God. It's because of Calvary. Oh, I feel faith in this place. I want you in your mind. I don't want you to tell anybody else, but in your mind, I want you to bring up your biggest failure in the last two years. And I want you to extend that before the Lord and raise a cup in a declaration to the sky in front of the accuser of the brethren, the devil, however you want to call it and whatever you want to call him and say, I'm here in the house of God as an overcomer. Praise God because of God's grace and his mercy to me. Praise God, the strength that I get is coming from the broken body and from the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses every sin. Praise God, that's it somebody, go ahead and thank him. Thank him, thank him. I shouldn't be here, but I'm here because of God's. Come on, Brother Gene. He said I shouldn't be here, but because of his body, because of his blood.
This is good news in the cup. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 said, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What I'm saying here tonight in conclusion as musicians come, I'm saying that the communion service, the Lord's Supper, is good news for the sick and the unworthy. Are you battling sickness, condemnation, and guilt? Then prepare a table in the presence of your enemies and proclaim the Lord's death. <laughs> Raise a declaration to the sky that says, I know I'm not worthy but he's worthy. And I know I shouldn't even have a place at the table, but he made a place at the table for me. And so when the accuser of the brethren comes, I'm going to make sure that there's a declaration that is raised to the heavens. That changes things just a little bit, doesn't it? It does. It makes the Lord's supper and the Lord's table a declaration of celebration because the enemy would love to destroy you, but he can't get through the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. People have, have taken that and they've internalized that as, as taking the Lord's Supper unworthily because they don't feel worthy or for whatever reason and they've internalized it. When in reality, it should be an anthem. It should be a celebration. It should be a war cry. Listen to this. Listen to this. In the Lord's Supper, all three phases of time coalesce and come together. The past, it's what Jesus did at Calvary, so the past is important. The present, we're in the present, and we're taking of his body and his blood. And then it said, you do this until he come. It's also into the future. So the past, the present, and the future, it is a rousing. I know this kind of goes against maybe the grain just a little bit. It is a rousing war cry that says to hell, I'm still here because of his body and because of his blood. 
I haven't been perfect and I'm not even perfect here tonight because there is no perfection unless it's in Jesus Christ himself. But I am here and so I'm giving a war cry and a declaration to the heavens and the enemy of my soul and hell itself. You cannot overcome the power of Calvary. Man, I'm really looking for somebody that you've gone through some major, major struggles in the last year and you didn't even know if you could make it, but you're here tonight. Maybe there have been things in your family that, have, that, have, that almost knocked you out. Maybe disappointments and failures, but you're in the house of God. You know why you're here? Because a table has been prepared for you. There's a broken body that brings healing to you. There's blood that washes and cleanses, and there's power in that blood. Praise God. You can be seated just, just for a minute. Let me just say something about foot washing real quick, because the scripture reading here tonight, Brother Fields, was on foot washing and what does that even mean? For some of you, this is the first time you've ever taken communion. And by the way, what are the requirements for communion? You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. In the Old Testament, they put blood on the doorpost of the house in Egypt when the death angel came by. In the New Testament, the blood is applied in baptism and Jesus' name is applied to your life and that, that's where the blood is applied to the doorpost of your house. So a requirement for communion is to be baptized in Jesus' name. And if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, talk to somebody. Ask them well, what's the significance of that. They'll, they'll be more than willing to help you understand what that is. <clears throat> and I might just say, thank God that there are people that have never experienced communion service before. We need to thank God together that there's people in the congregation that this is the this is the first time they've ever experienced this. Amen. Then what is it about this foot washing thing? Jesus, when he gave the last supper, he broke the bread, he gave the wine, and then he knelt and he started washing their feet. And they didn't realize it. They didn't realize it. Here's the king of glory, Jesus, in his ministry. They were amazed by what he was able to do. And they more than likely thought it was a servant that was doing the customary washing the feet, which took place in the first century Palestine because people wore sandals and it was dirty. And when you went to somebody's house, they would have a basin. And as you came into the house, they would wash your feet so that you would be clean. And so it became very apparent when they looked down and they realized, wait a minute. That is not a servant, but that's Jesus. And Peter, Peter rebelled against that idea. He said, you're not going to do that. Jesus said, if you don't wash, if I can't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And Peter said, not my feet only, but my head, my whole body. And Jesus said, no, you don't need to do that. Save your feet. So there's also a type of baptism here as well. You don't need to be rebaptized. Washing 
feet is a type of baptism, but it's also a type of humility and humbleness. Now, some, some would say we don't need to do that anymore because we're not walking in dirt and there's, there's not dust and stuff like that. We have shoes and what have you. And so they try to find an alternative action. But the problem is you can't find, taking the trash out for somebody's not the same. <laughs> and shining their shoes is not the same either. There's a certain humbleness and humility when you bow before somebody and you wash their feet. When you are on your knees washing their feet, who are you? You're Jesus taking the form of a servant. When someone is washing your feet, it's not them, but it's Jesus doing that. When you're washing their feet, you take the position of Jesus. And so those two positions help you with what to pray. If the person that is washing your feet is doing that, you should be praying, thank God. I'm not really deserving of this because representative of Jesus is an individual. It's like Jesus that's kneeling at your feet, washing your feet. When you're washing their feet, you're taking the place of Jesus. You're praying, God bless them. Every step that they take, direct them, guide them, expand their territory and their borders. So your prayer has two perspectives. As a person, and you also take the place of Jesus. Now, because we're not in the first century, there's no need for you to run your fingers through my toes or anything like that. Please. <laughs> uh, you don't need to bring a bar of soap either and soap up my legs and my... Uh, no, no, no. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You just kneel. You pick up somebody's foot. You put water on their feet. You dry their feet with a towel. That's what foot washing is all about. Amen. Praise God. Psalm chapter 23 and verse number 5 says thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life